You are listening to a second the voice of your future doctors. We as medical students are invested in changing and molding the future world that we envision for ourselves, our community, and our society. We have something to say about who will be your future physicians and how we got on this path. We have something to say about our training process and the personal and professional journeys that have come with it. We have something to say about our health system, where we want to see it go, and the steps we plan on taking to get there. And since no one's giving us a platform, we have created one for ourselves. Welcome to a Second Opinion Podcast. Hello, welcome back to another episode of A2O, A Second Opinion, the voice of your future doctors. We have another esteemed guest on the podcast today. Um, She's a leader, athlete, a pioneer. Um, She has left a considerable mark in every place that she goes. And she is, I'm convinced, she is a future president of the United States. Please, everyone, um, welcome future doctor Janice Bonsu. Janice, how how are we doing? Oh my goodness, I'm blushing. <laughs> Warn me, but I don't think I was ready. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, tell me where the lie is. Tell me where the lie is. Like, I think, I think any. <laughs> I'm hearing athlete. I'm like, I haven't gone out for a run this week. I'm hearing, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm so happy to be here and finally get a chance to sit and chat with you. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, you know, what have you been up to? Um, you know, right now it's, we have submitted our rank lists. Um, <laughs> we're waiting for match day. So, you know, what has that been like for you? You know, I'm I'm being hopeful. I'm one of the Zillow people right now. Scooping <laughs> <laughs> up, <laughs> up potential apartments yeah. and, and adding things to my <laughs> Amazon cart, just daydreaming. And I, I you know, yeah. but one thing, one promise I, I made myself after I just had my last exam yesterday, I told myself, okay, Janice, like, you know, this is where good habits are made. So I promised mm-hmm. myself that until... I start intern year. I'm going to do one hour of reading, academic reading a day, which okay. I think at the same time, it sounds like a lot, but then it's like, it's really not, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to get myself um, in the mindset I need to be in. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's great. Um, I think I tried to do the same and I was like, oh, would you look at that? There's a video game, just calling my name, <laughs> calling my <laughs> name there. Uh, no, but agreed. Like, I think, you know, residency, since we'll be, we'll be assuming that responsibility pretty soon. Um, it's good to get yourself in that mindset, just like how, you know, an athlete would, you know, train a little bit before training camp so that they're coming up, coming there a little prepared. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Precisely. You know, my, my little brother is a basketball coach and I, I'm making him put me in the, the motivational coaching. And <laughs> he, he sends me little videos and, you know, I'm like, yeah, let's get pumped up. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. Now, I know you mentioned an Amazon uh, cart any chance that you uh, developed a, a med wish list? And for those who don't know, med wish list is this phenomenal campaign that it has been going on recently. 
um, where minority medical students have been awarded graduation gifts in this kind of virtual format by physicians um, who are willing to support them and send them anonymous gifts. Um, it was started by a fourth year medical student on Twitter, and it's uh, it's been going it's been going pretty darn well. So I wanted to ask you, um, any chance you made one of those? You know, it's been so incredible to watch. Um, but I'm trying to I'm trying to check my privilege a little bit, and mm. you know, I'm I'm hoping that it's going for the people who really need it. Certainly, I'm sending my wish list to my family and friends. <laughs> <laughs> but also being aware that, you know, I, I'm probably not the one who's at most need right now. Um, that, that's, that's admirable. That is admirable. <laughs> um, I, but I will say, I, I think you are definitely deserving of it, even if, um, oh. <laughs> I know I'm just no, like just in, in general, like I think minority medical students, the additional barriers um, that we often have to overcome, I think that's a reward in and of itself. Um mm-hmm. You know, um, but yeah, no, we're not running the same race. <laughs> yes, it's, sure. it's it's definitely a different race, but I'm I'm just glad it's coming to an end. So. Yes, <laughs> uh, at least at least this like so <laughs> at least this yeah like. exactly we'll see. Um, but yeah, so for you know all the people who don't have the the chance of having known you, you know, do you mind telling our guests, uh, our sorry, our listeners on the podcast, um, you know who? are you? Who is Janice Bonsu? And you know, how did you get to where you are sitting right now? Oh, man, a lot of my mom's prayers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always I start who I am definitely from my family. I am the only girl. I have two brothers, one older, one younger. And I've been sandwiched playing uh, like peacekeeper and peace broker for all my life. So that's <laughs> in in reflection, that's pretty much a lot of my um, personality was shaped just in that because of that dynamic. Um, but my parents immigrated from Ghana, geez, maybe like two or three years before I was born. And uh, back when I was growing up, it was still in vogue to send your your children back to Ghana for a number of years. I don't mm-hmm. know if you you had that experience with you. I I had like one winter trip, but not a not a full oh fledged like couple of years. I mean, everyone no, goes back, man. but <laughs> I lived there for five years. Uh, oh, dude, from yeah. the age of one to six. Yeah, no, I did the I did the full tour. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they sent me back, but it was great. So I got to live with my grandparents, got to learn the language and the culture, and um, certainly mm. when I came back, my eyes were open. You know, living in Ghana. Even at that age, I just remember being told all the milk and honey streets stories of America. And you come here and you're like, what, what, this is it? <laughs> you're like, this is what we were marketing. So the marketing is A plus, let me tell you. Yeah, facts, um, facts. That's definitely the beginning of my, you know, my push into helping make some of these injustices <laughs> part of my, for, the for, forefront of my motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, but we lived in New Jersey, eventually moved to Ohio. I went to get my undergrad at Johns Hopkins, um, took a detour for med school at Penn, where I think we, we just missed each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then, I feel like we were in the same we, building, <laughs> like, oh, just didn't know each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now we're reunited here at Ohio state. So that's exciting. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that sounds like a, a very, um, kind of very interesting trajectory, like you said, kind of multifactorial, you know, mixed across countries, across different institutions, various Mm -hmm. parts of the country. So, um, you know, I think that sounds um, pretty amazing. Now, when you were growing up, did you know that you wanted, 
it was like medicine or bus? Like, how did you, how did you get to that decision specifically? Oh, you know, there's a story, you know, my mom likes to call, talk about, she's like, mm, yeah, since you were five, you know, we did so apparently, allegedly we did <laughs> this Martin Luther King, I have a dream thing. And my, I have a dream was I wanted to be a doctor. However, I have an earlier memory that I can't, you know, prove because I was a kid. Um, but my grandpa uh, that I lived with in Ghana, he was involved in local politics there. And mm-hmm. I wanted to be just like him and do just what he was doing because he, I mean, he was in charge of essentially public health and welfare in our region. Wow. And like, sure, like the doctors were like patching bruises up and, you know, everything like that. But I just thought that he was thinking and doing things that were, you know, we were, we were having rolling blackouts in the region. And he was thinking and doing things about how do we fix that? How do we make sure people have running water? And that was kind of where my mind was. And actually, he dissuaded me into going in that route although I've still p- picked up the public health. Um, and he was like, m- one of my uncles in Ghana was a physician and we went to visit one of the villages together. And, you know, I, I stepped out of the truck with my grandpa and I was like, yeah, and he's like the boss. And everyone flocked <laughs> to my uncle. And I was like, what is happening? He's like, and my grandpa, I remember no one else, you know, he's since passed away. So no one could corroborate me. But I remember distinctly, he told me that politicians just come and we just promise things. But the doctors come and they have the, the knowledge and they have the skills in their hands um, to actually make a change in people's lives. He's like, that's what you should do. You shouldn't do what I'm doing. And I just remember that interaction. And I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> we'll do doctor, but we're going to put public health in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's beautiful. Like I can, I can see the, I can see the movie now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Duh, the movie. <laughs> okay. No, that's super awesome. That's super awesome. Now, you know, in college, we've had a couple of conversations offline about this, but it seems like that kind of um, vision of, you know, being on the path to medicine, but also being involved in leadership, um, in public health and politics, it seems like you were pretty active in that in undergrad um, and in graduate school as well. So can you tell us a little bit about those experiences as well? You know, that's that's how I... I'm so confident that this conversation might like grandpa happen because there are certain parts of your personality that you're born with. Maybe you're shaped at a very young age and you can't shake it no matter what. And I never understood why, you know, I don't know if I told you, but even before undergrad, I ran <laughs> in high school for student government five times and oh. lost five times, losing oh, no. into college. My first lecture was a loss as well. But oh, these things I was doing, everyone was like, Janet, why? Like, why are you coming home every fall crying, like tears, like sorrowful tears? Why don't you just stop running for these things? And I just knew somehow that I was supposed to be a part of those conversations. And sure, I was good at science, maybe not so much math, <laughs> but um, that, that that wasn't all of me, I thought. So when I went to college, I found ways to initially, after I finished my losing streak, my sixth election, I finally won. <laughs> and it was, you know, at Hopkins, um, there at many private institutions, there's a lack of representation. So it was, let's, let's see how we can get more people um, at the table. It was how we serve our, our community of Baltimore um, and starting those conversations. And 
then you get addicted. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can do all this in, in one year. Let's run again. And that's really how everything started. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, I applaud you for your perseverance because. <laughs> or crazy. It was, it's insanity, <laughs> right? That's the definition of insanity. Yeah. I mean, insanity, some people would call it, um, I don't know if you're a fan. Of, oh, you sound, I think you said uh, you're, you're, you might have some athletes or in your family, but like the Mamba mentality, I feel like that's exactly yeah. what it is. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, you just keep going and then, you know, kind of things will kind of just bend your way. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm a proponent that I think if you are persistent and just strive to be great at anything, like greatness will find you, whether that's in yeah. the path that you want or not. Um, and I mean, sounds like uh, you're, that, this is pretty case in point. So that's really awesome. <laughs> yeah, eventually the river cut the stone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. So, you know, I want to get, since we're on the topic of leadership, you know, I want to get more into this. Um, you know, you said you were in student government leadership at Hopkins and something that the listeners on the podcast might not know is that you were also on the, the board of trustees here at Ohio State. So, you know, it seems like being in these positions, being in these rooms where the voices of minorities are not always um, talked about or given credibility um, is something that you've been able to do well. So given that, you know, I want to ask you, what does leadership and being in those positions like mean to you? That's a really insightful question. I when 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 you say that sentence, the first thing that comes to my mind is service. And a little bit of it is this legacy I think my grandpa has instilled in me that it's it's <laughs> that's so cliche. It's really what you can do for others. And I especially just being a child of immigrants, it's total luck and situations that I'm here and not a number of my cousins. Um so all the opportunities that have been afforded to me, I know very well that, you know, it it can it can be it can be gone just like that or it doesn't have to be to me. So every time I step in a room, I do step in it. Unfortunately, kind of with like the a heavy load on me that I'm not just sitting there for myself. And I hope one day that I get to sit there and just represent Janice. And um, but I do feel the responsibility of a number of people who can't be in that chair with me. So for me, leadership is absolutely service. Um, one of my biggest flaws is <laughs> wanting to please everyone all the time. So <laughs> I found a way to turn it into the, these leadership positions where my job is to serve everyone all the time um, and trying to be that peace broker and negotiate ways we can make that happen um, for different people in our community. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I want to dive deeper into that. Um, you know, we've talked about, you know, having a seat at the table um, and having these, you know, perspectives heard. You know, I want to ask you specifically, you know, do you have, you don't have to give examples, but kind of areas of society, um, you know, big issues that you found when you're in these rooms are not given the respect or the credibility or the time that they deserve. and um, you know, it being done in a way that actually does justice to the people who need to have their voices heard when they do. Hmm. You know, that's a that's another difficult conversation because especially because of everything that happened last year with the 
um, I'm going to call the the race revolution that (laughs) that we had in the the U.S. Um, But, you know, to be honest, and and on the board of trustees, a number of issues come up that are confidential. Um, Certainly none of them fit the bucket you're talking about. More often what I've seen is this phenomenon of reacting to whatever's um, on whatever's going on. So when the race riots were happening um, in Columbus, we were like, how can we use our institutional leverage and, um, you know, and our expertise as a university to serve our community, high state students and to serve our community, you know, Columbus as a whole. And in those situations, the frustrations that really comes is one, some people like me <laughs> have known these issues were happening long, long before. Um, and there's just no opportunity to bring it up unless something's on fire. So it's frustration that everything has to be reactionary because, you know, we have to focus on financial aid. We have to focus on building new projects. We have to focus on all these things are definitely important. But because race has been a taboo topic for people in that generation, like they were literally raised not talking about it, race, religion, mm. politics. So they don't want to talk about it unless something's on fire. And it's like, we're not really talking about race. We're talking about how we put that building up. And to me, that was really frustrating. Um, But then the next thing that, you know, I'm off the board now, so I don't know anything that's being discussed. But one of the things that I hope happens is now that we've gotten to admit that the building is on fire, um, that it becomes a part of the strategic plan for the university, just like we have financial aid and academic excellence. Um, the next should be, you know, um, a pathway <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to just a peaceful discourse and recognizing the impacts of white supremacy on all of these campuses. I was in a meeting for my previous institution, um, Johns Hopkins, and the president was talking and, you know, and I, I kind of pushed him because I was, I was there in Baltimore when the Freddie Gray riots happened and it was heartbreaking to see the reaction. It, it was, yeah, it was a, a tough time to be in a city at a privileged university being guarded by National Guard when the city was left kind of on its own. Wow, and yeah. President Daniels said the words white supremacy. And I just remember, and he's a white guy from yeah. Canada. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> saying, yes, like, look how far we have come now. The yeah. president of a major university has admitted to white supremacy. And I was like, that that's how we, we begin to solve this. So my biggest frustration, 100% has been the reactionary stance of many of these universities. But I think now is the time for us, since everyone is admitting it, let's lean into it. And, and let's bring those to the table who are in the community and have the experiences and the opinions we need to hear um, to help make a solution. Wow. Um, man, you bring up so many great points <laughs> and perspectives in that um, response. Uh, like, thank you so much for that. And, um, you know, I think, especially like, I didn't realize that you were at Hopkins when the Freddie Gray uh, riots were happening. And I, and I think it's such an interesting point when you exist because, you know, I myself have went to a similar ivory tower, you know, institution, mm-hmm. um, at the university of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And, it, and bo- I'm going to be honest, both cities 
have oh, yeah. similar mm-hmm. negative reputations from, from those oh, yeah. who don't live in the city about mm-hmm. what kind of people live around the area and how quote unquote safe it is, um, you know, to be in that specific area. Um, and with that comes a lot of negative connotations, which I think further reinforces the insulation that the universities make for their students and for the Absolutely. academic environment in general. Um, but at the same time, you know, given Hopkins' influence in Baltimore, Penn's influence in Philadelphia, Ohio State's influence in Columbus, like, you know, we need kind of that kind of brave and courageous leadership that can say, that can acknowledge, like, very frankly, issues that are going on in the surrounding community and know what role that we can play as people who go to that institution mm-hmm. who are part of the leadership, et cetera, in terms of actually, you know, giving voice to things that are going on in the community and actually be um, bold enough to use our resources to do something about it. So, uh, you know, I think that's a, I mean, it brings up so many points. I'm like a big, like academic community partnership person. So, well, um, you know, the funny thing, I don't know if you've um, been connected, but so we have an office at Ohio state, specifically that deals with this. Um, Trudy Bartley, she's our intergovernmental affairs lady. But when we talk about the Near East projects, she designed all of that. She came from the mayor's office and really is championing that on campus. And it's great. But to me, it's it hasn't been given the 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 pedestal that it needs in order for it to be modeled in other communities. And I don't know if it, this is necessarily the job of a university. Um, but I certainly think that just seeing everything that she's done, I think that because of the expertise and the type of people that are attracted to universities and medical centers, it's certainly a role that we can play. Like we have the know-how. Um, and it's just, it, I, chills come to me every time I, I read about her and just see what's been done for that community. And I hope that they're planning on expanding it further. You said her name was Trudy Bartley? Trudy Bartley. Yeah, I'd love okay. to introduce you guys. I feel like you guys uh, would <laughs> have I mean, plenty to talk about. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that's, yeah, I mean, that'd be, that'd be awesome. <laughs> um, you know, you know, I think that that point about is it a university's role to do that is in, mm-hmm. it's always an interesting one. Um, I mean, I think maybe this is different for Ohio State because it's a public institution, but mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I think it's a valid question, but I think questions like that also also limit us because, I mean, does Amazon have a role in forming a hospital? Like, does Amazon have a role in, you know, making pharmacies? Like, there, it it is. Oh, Habib, I'm with you. I'm with you you there. We're actually, you know, I pose that question, but I come down very hard as yes, it is. It's maybe not our, actually, no, it is our stated mission too, (laughs) private or public, because. You know, when I look at Hopkins, critically, we've benefited tremendously from the population within the city, mm-hmm. sometimes unbeknownst to them, mm-hmm. um, without their consent, all tax-free. Yeah. So when I think about what we owe our fellow humans as the you know principle of solidarity and <laughs> just being a decent human, I think that, yeah, we need to be doing vaccine camps in Baltimore because we've benefited growing cells in our laboratories because of them and, and making profit out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly when we look at Ohio State, it is a state 
university. Um, so we have in our stated mission, we are a land grant public university. We're supposed to be serving the 33 counties in Ohio in every way we can. So mm. it's different, but I, I, Penn? Oh yeah, I think so too. <laughs> We've benefited plenty from the community. Oh, for, sure. for sure. Like at least, at least Penn had like the Netter Center. So there was a space where like those kind of conversations were had. Like I remember I was in like a community development and empowerment class at Penn. And the fact that that class exists, I think, shows that it is a space where at least these conversations are occurring. Um, but I think once you learn about the history of West Philadelphia, you're like, oh, man, Penn, <laughs> y'all just came in and just flopped, flopped right in there. So right. um, you, know, you should probably do something about some of the consequences that that led to. So, you know, taking these, I want to take these big societal issues off the table <laughs> for a second. Um, and I want to focus on kind of where you are as a medical student, um, specifically as someone who um, is a member of the Air Force um, and have and that, yeah. you know, that has been a key part of your medical education. So again, if you don't mind telling the listeners, you know, how did you enlist in the Air Force, you know, and what motivated you to end up uh, wanting to serve your country? Mm -hmm. I've, grandpa. <laughs> So I've, I haven't been able to shake this thing, right? Like, honestly, I almost joined everyone at Hopkins. My undergrad would assume that I was in the military since Hopkins because I used to do the ROTC program mm, yeah. there and work out with all of them. They see me running on campus. And so, and it was an army ROTC. So when I ended up going Air Force, they're like, wait, I thought you were already in it. And I was like, oh no, I was just hanging out with them and, <laughs> and working out with them and taking their classes. But I never actually commissioned. I never actually joined and, and contracted. Um, for me, you know, my parents grew up in Ghana and a big part of the the culture there is something called national service. And that's after high school. Sometimes people do it after college, but mostly it's after high school. You have to do at least a year of some kind of national service, which in the U.S. we would call that like Teach for America or maybe even Peace Corps. Um, my mom was a teacher, so her national service was teaching. Um, but it, so it can be something along the lines of your career. Usually it's teaching and they'll put you in a region um, where instead of states, we're regions. They'll put you in a region that you actually belong to to help kind of foster that um, community belongness. But that that's it was just it was normal. That's what everyone did. Um, so in the back of my mind, knowing how grateful I was to be here in, in America, um, I wanted something to give back. You know, I am America's number one critic. Maybe there are bigger criticizers, but I can criticize the U.S. Mm -hmm. every day. That's why I took half of our podcast already to talk about things <laughs> yeah. I don't like. But at the same time, I'm incredibly grateful and I recognize what we have here. We have the ingredients for something better. We just haven't had people um, willing to combine <laughs> the ingredients in, in a meaningful way. So um, I wanted to give back but then I was like, how do I give back? I still wanted to be a doctor and I didn't want anything to take me off that route. So um, I, what I learned about the military HPSP, that's Health Professional Scholarship Program, um, and the fact that it pays for medical school, which was another concern of mine. I didn't have a college fund to tap into. Um, I was like, wow, okay, I want to go to med school. I want to serve my country. And this is a scholarship designed to do exactly that. 
So it was a no brainer. Picking the Air Force was a little bit intentional for me because it was the first branch to allow black people in. And just the conversations that I've had, it was, it's a, you know, every branch has their criticisms, but the, the Air Force has been historically known to be good to women and black people. So that was very important to me. And that's not to say the other branches aren't, but that history and legacy from the Tuskegee Airmen and onward just was heartwarming to me. So that's why I chose the Air Force. Okay. I did not know that. Um, Yeah. um, That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. (laughs) And, you know, and since, uh, you know, deciding to join the Air Force here in medical school, you know, what kind of experiences have you had to have that are different from like the usual, you know, uh, medical school experience for those who are not, you know, um, in any kind of U S military force. Yeah. So, um, I joined a little, I don't, I wouldn't say late. You can either join right before medical school, right before your M one year, or, um, you can do it in between like as a med two, which is what I joined. Um, so I had to go to, officer training school in Montgomery, Alabama. <laughs> and it was my first time in Alabama. Um, hope to be there at, on more happy terms. But <laughs> look, I never went to a summer camp. <laughs> Montgomery, Alabama is like Kumasi, Ghana. Let me just okay. tell you, there is little there but mosquitoes and torrential Ooh. downpour. <laughs> Ooh, <okay>. It was <laughs> rough (laughs) and at this point having a whole med one under me I was used to sitting behind a computer learning so I was admittedly out of shape Mm -hmm. and it was humid and I had to run a lot um it was just like the movies (laughs) it you get off the bus and people are yelling at you and like I said I'm a people pleaser I was like why are you why are you yelling what can we do to stop the (laughs) you know and I was trying to be a wallflower a little bit where I was like, don't call attention to yourself. Don't get yelled at. Um, but they find you, you know, I was trying to be a wallflower. You have to volunteer to do a job while you're there. Um, and your group that we call our, our mini groups of 13 flights. So I wanted to do a wallflower job in my flight. And the second week there, the flight commander came to me and he was like, we're going to make you the flight officer in charge. So you're going to run this flight. And I remember saying there, I was like, why? Because I am the youngest here, one. Everyone, I was a second lieutenant, which is like the, we call them butter bars, we're the bottom of the officers. There are captains on my flight, um, lawyers, doctors already. And I think they, they try to take you and make you a little uncomfortable. And I'm really grateful for that because I was able to learn what to do for crisis management, what to do for, I mean, they teach you everything um, besides the the history of the military, but how to lead groups of people who don't have anything in common other than their uniform, um, different races, different genders, different uh, education, career paths, and how to get people to buy into a mission, a shared mission, and how to really bring the best out of them. So that was, and that's the only dedicated leadership training I've really had in my whole life. And I just, I'm so grateful for that opportunity. But if I don't have to wake up at four thirty to run five miles again, it'll be too soon. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that definitely sounds like pretty intense. Um, uh, I guess, like, I mean, I'm trying to think of the 
the last military movie I saw, Cadet Kelly. I don't, I don't even know. Like, um, yeah, that's what I was remembering too. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. this is Cadet Kelly. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but um, I mean, it's great that you, one, were able to, you know, persevere through that. And it sounds Cadet like you Kelly. took some pretty, pretty impactful lessons from it. So um, that's, that's great. Now, in terms of your fourth year, um, so that means that it's also match time for you. So, you know, what has your experience been like? And then specifically, how has that been any different because of um, you being in the Air Force? Yeah, so I I always try to, I have a list of frequently asked questions because unfortunately the military process is like a black box. So I, I obviously <sighs> get a lot of outreach from students who are considering it. They're like, you know, I've heard the military picks my specialty for me or um, that I'll have to, you know, just a lot of things that they're, they, they're not sure about. So the military program, besides doing the mandatory summer training um, before you kind of usually typically before you start M2 year, you have to um, then do two military away rotations during your med four years. So I went to San Antonio and UC Davis. Um, San Antonio was a joint Air Force Army base and UC Davis is a civilian school. Um, some of our training sites are civilian hospitals. Uh, so that's nice if you want a mix between a civilian and a like military training and you know situation. This is I'm only speaking for the Air Force because the Army and Navy are their own beasts <laughs> but um, kind of run a little similarly. So I after that, you have your decision, hopefully, whether you, you see yourself in a military or civilian residency. Um, our military match typically happens in December, kind of right around Christmas time um, or the, the winter holidays. But this year, because of COVID, we had to do it in on January 6th, I think it was. So what happens is you apply not only for permission to do the specialty of your choice, but you also apply whether or not you want to do it in the military or civilian hospital. And for most people, it makes sense. For example, if I was emergency medicine or maybe even general surgery, I'm like, look, like military trauma is, that is the trauma <laughs> that you, you know, in many cases, I don't know if civilian hospitals will expose you to that level of trauma. So it's like a no brainer that you want to do a military hospital um, in certain cases, for me, especially knowing that I like I'm a research nerd, like I was looking for NIH funding faculty or funded faculty when I was looking for my match list. So I knew I needed to be in a more established academic institution. So I opted for the civilian match. And and so you negotiate those two things. Um, there are several pathways you can you can join. So you're given the permission to do your specialty on January 6th. And then you're told, yes, you've been granted permission to do it in the civilian match or, okay, we understand you want to do civilian match, but we really want you to do military. And they can say that. Um, or oh, wow. you both decide, sure, military match is great. So let's come and you can join us. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it, it sounds like, yeah, like you said, you were able to get that civilian match. Oh, yeah. On your, <laughs> you know, it was it's one of those things, though, at the end, though, I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to go to San Antonio. Like you you always I feel like the grass is always greener. <laughs> yeah. 
So, yeah. you know, everything works out for the best. And regardless, at the end of these five years residency, I will be going back to the military to serve my four-year commitment, um, at mm -hmm. least my four-year commitment. So we'll see. Okay. You know, I want to get into the dilemma of choice. Uh, more than a dilemma. It's a it's a lot of lemmas. That's <laughs> <But laughs> a trilemma. <laughs> right? But, you know, really, like, choosing a residency. Yeah. You know, obviously for you, that had an additional layer. But the idea of applying and making a list and then, like, subsequently, you know, choosing, quote, unquote, which one's your number one choice and which one's the best for you. Like, it's it's, it's complicated. And I want to yeah. explore that a little bit. So mm -hmm. it sounds like, at least in terms of choosing your programs that you want to apply to and eventually interview for, it seems like research funding was another big one, was a big one. Were there any other factors that were important to you um, when selecting a program? I, I'm only hesitating because this sucks, but I'm a little aware of the fact that, you know, I'm like a woman trying to go into surgery and I'm about to save my family, <laughs> but it's so true. I, mm -hmm. ugh, they're so annoying, but <laughs> at the same time, <laughs> my family are so important to me. So, um, mm -hmm. I did map the distance, driving distance and flying distance and prices <laughs> of all the school. I only mm -hmm. applied to 30 programs and that's because I was like, will I actually move myself to Utah and be that far from my family. No. So Utah was out. So I, I was making a lot of pre-decisions um, simply based on the fact that would I actually be happy to, to live there that, that far. So certainly research um, and doesn't necessarily have to be research funding. That was an easy way to, to see, but I did um, outreach to some of the, the faculty. And if they were doing similar research that got me out of bed and got me excited, which usually was um, orthopedic outcomes, health outcomes that were kind of looking at it from the disparities and ethical perspective, I was like, yeah, I'm into that. Um, family, um, commitment to their community. I think we, we've spoken a little bit about how Baltimore, Philly, and Columbus have given us appreciation of what we need to be doing to serve in our community. Mm -hmm. So that was another layer that, you know, you don't have to have something set up, but just the, the thoughts are percolating in your mind that it's something that needs to be on your priority list that was attractive for me and then the last thing would really be the mentors there and it's hard to get a sense of that certainly virtually but um because mentorship is something that's a grown relationship but mm -hmm. I did a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations with people where I was like do, do we have the same types of personality kinks and you know do I feel yeah. like they're I don't want to they have the vision that I we have shared visions and and so that was a softer thing that I had to tease out. But I think at the end, I, I kind of found the perfect three to five places that I think, you know, certainly make more than that. But like where I was like, yeah, we are like the same. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, you know, after, you know, picking your programs, interviewing, making a list, you know, looking back, everything's submitted now. <laughs> yeah, right. Twice, three times, 400 <laughs> times, like making sure you see the green, green, green. Like, exactly. <laughs> you know, very nerve wracking. Looking back on your list, do you feel like there is a place that you're just meant to be? Or is it more so, honestly, there are a couple places that I 
feel like would be the best fits and I would be happy anywhere. And cho- and the choice is really more of a premium than a uh, kind of necessity. You know, I'm probably, I'm the wrong person to ask this question because I'm such a cerebral, oh, this sounds so gross. But like I'm such a cerebral person in that I I don't make gut decisions. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I, I will pro-con you to death. <laughs> I will, mm-hmm. you know, um, even ch- choosing my specialty, I there wasn't a time I walked into rotation. I was like, oh, my heart, like this is the plate, the home for me. It was a very intellectual decision based on how I could do the research that excited me. Um, how and at the end of the day, actually, I chose orthopedics because when I was in the OR, surprisingly, it was the only time that my mind completely shut. I was able to actually, like, I find being or a little bit like meditating where you're just so focused on wow. what you're doing that everything else melts away. And that was a piece I feel like I needed. Um, whereas everything else, I was thinking about a million things in the background. So for me, ortho was the thing that was like, nope, it has to just be this. And that was probably the reason why I chose it because I was entertaining. I am, you know, very different. Um, so a lot of my decisions have been very, intentional and for residency it was it was the same way you know I was looking up flights I was looking up um where people had gone um I was looking up whether or not they had military people come through before and what their success was for a lot of these programs I'll be the first black woman to to be a resident there or they fired a black woman before um and and hadn't taken one since so there's a lot of history and things that I was really trying to say would I be happy? But at the end of the day, talking to my mentors, the one who's going to hood me, actually, Dr. Stephen Gabby, who's an mm. OBGYN. I never, ever thought OBGYN, but <laughs> he became a mentor because he, <laughs> well, we have, we have a history, but every single time I changed my specialty interest, he was there to talk to me. Mm-hmm. But And he would always say, Janice, I don't care if you do ENT. You're not a tree. If you don't like where you're planted, you can move. And I come back. I was like, okay, cardiology. He's like, that's fine. Let's do cardiology. But again, if you find out you don't like it, you're not a tree. You can move. So toward the end, I know moving residency will be heartbreaking and life shattering and blah, 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 blah. But the piece I got was I'm confident that I will be trained to be an excellent surgeon in any of these places. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm confident that my people are there. Um, We have the same missions and shared vision. So if there's something that is so traumatic that happens to me that I have to leave, you know, I'm not a tree. <laughs> I, I can pick up and go somewhere else if, if it's really necessary. So, and, and that was kind of the, the last bit of peace that I had to make and made me make my decision and walk away from it. Wow. Yeah, that is definitely very intentional and thoughtful like it i don't get those gut feelings i want to know where people find them from you you never so a a common feeling that you will hear or that is heard is that you know people go into their interview and they're like okay this is my number one um that that never happened for you over rationalize that where i'm like i think it's because that person was having a good day and they Mm. gave me more eye contact than you know I, i i get in my mind where i'm like 
for the same reason as I think it's really tough for med threes to choose specialties because it's so team dependent. What if you get the mm-hmm. bad mixture of team members and then yep. all of a sudden you don't want to be a pediatrician anymore. So I'm yeah. so aware of those things that, you know, those parts of our personality that are situationally based, like maybe the person really likes me and I would have been a good fit, but they had a bad lunch. <laughs> so yeah. I talked myself out of those gut feelings, I guess, maybe. Well, you know, I, what's interesting though, is that I think for you, what that means is that you bet on you mm-hmm. and that the, your factors, what is important to you is more oh. important than anything external <laughs> that could be impacting what you do. And I think that's admirable. Like you make me you sound know. so put together. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and not like I'm a cold, emotionless person. I love oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, at least that's what it that's what it seems like. I mean, nice, especially yeah. like mentioning the fact that at a lot of programs that you will be applying to, you will be the first mm. black woman orthopedic surgery resident. Like that to me is like one. It's mind blowing. It's a little um, shameful, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's very shameful. Like in the year of twenty twenty one. Yeah, like, I mean, we should have been here. Right. (laughs) We're out here, Um, so, hey. It's crazy. So, you know, I think coming from that perspective, I mean, it makes sense because I think, you know, we talk about representation a lot and the fact that not seeing yourself in a position, I think, almost oftentimes implicitly communicates to you that, you know, maybe this isn't where I'm supposed to be. Absolutely. Um, But for you, I mean, I think, it sounds like there was no deterrent just based on it, the, the oh. fact that it's never been done before. Oh, at least it wasn't the ult- an ultimate deterrent. Like yeah, it wasn't the, you know what, it's it that up... mentorship. It's hmm. I, you know, you, you, you've seen me, we, we've crossed paths a couple of times in med school and it's always when I feel like things are on the upswing for me, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I talked, I almost rationalized myself out of orthopedic surgery and I I would be lying if I said it's because I didn't see anyone who looked like me. I just, like you said, I thought it wasn't a space that I would thrive because why hadn't any other person done it before? If, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not that there have been no, but I was, for example, at our program here at Ohio State, I was like, well, if it was meant for me, other people would have, other black women would have gone through and, and graduated already. Um, but it was the mentors around me who were like, no, this is about you. You're an, indi- you know, at, like you're needed here. This is the timing, you know, and helping me bet on myself. I think I have a really bad self-confidence problem, but um, it's it's really the mentors. And for me, it was a couple of female orthopedic surgeons here who never let me, you know, rationalize my way out that I didn't belong there. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, that's wonderful. Um, that is that's wonderful. I mad respect to you and your mentors because I mean you guys are trailblazing a really cool path. So um, that's awesome. In Women's History Month at that, so um, I know. <laughs> you know, I think that that's really awesome. Now, um, as we you know wrap up this podcast episode, we've talked a lot about your journey, um, your aspirations. You know, kind of the way you think about what you want to do in medicine. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, you know, question we ask every one of our podcasts guests since, you know, they will most likely be like, you know, the movers and shakers in the future, you know, where do you see yourself in 10 years and, you know, 
if you could visualize it for us, you know, where are we going to find you? Oh man, where are you going to find me? That's that's an even scarier question. Um, wh- where do I see myself in ten years? I'll be honest, I can't even speculate because I didn't imagine coming to Ohio State for medical school and sitting on a board of trustees. I did it because an email came through while I was studying and prior, and I was curious. So I think when when I look at to where I see myself in 10 years, I hope I'm practicing um, <laughs> surgery. I hope I yeah. am paying it forward as far as mentorship goes um, and, and growing a new interested cohort of underrepresented minority women um, in, who are interested in surgery. And I hope that I still have the bandwidth to be able to look around my community and say, I'm curious about that. How can I, how can I help about that? Um, and that, that's really, and I hope my family's somewhere nearby. <laughs> so that, that's really it, you know, like, um, I, I, I have never, everything that I've done in my life that I've been so proud of, I never planned, honestly. The things I planned, I failed. And the things that I was just like, whatever, like, let the wind take it has worked out in such tremendous ways. So no plans except for to be happy, to be practicing surgery, paying it forward with mentorship. Um, and and to be responsive to whatever my community needs of me. And uh, work you follow me? Probably when you, <laughs> geez, I don't, well, Habib, it, not too far behind you. So wherever you're going, I follow. <laughs> 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 I might be in the boonies in Tennessee. You never <laughs> know. So. <laughs> Look, Ohio's not that, yeah, not that far from Tennessee. We'll make it work. <laughs> Well, I mean, do you have, you know, any kind of social media follow, so, social media profiles um, that we can follow to keep up with your progress? You know, absolutely. These? Yeah, I use my, my Instagram's a little private just because I like to share photos um, privately with my friends and family. But I am on Twitter at Janice Bonsu, my, my full name. And I I haven't decided how I want to use my Twitter. I'm not one of those like strictly med Twitter people because. I'll tweet about celebrities. I'll tweet about my mom's lame jokes. I'll tweet about recipes. I'm just, you know, so yeah. I, I don't have a focus. I'm not advocating anything, but it's just a fun way to com- communicate with people um, and, and sometimes get inspiration. Whenever I have a tough day, I kind of like will tweet something and people will give me a lot of advice. So I, I think the power of Twitter is really underestimated. Um, so definitely follow me on Twitter. I'll follow back and, and we can keep in touch. That sounds great. Well, Janice, thank you so much for, you know, blessing us with your journey and your encouraging words. Um, I'm sure the listeners will greatly appreciate it. And I greatly appreciate you taking the time to come on. Uh, That's really it for this episode. Um, Thank you to all the listeners who tuned in um, and you'll catch us on the next one. Um, And we can't wait to have you tune in. You guys take care.